13th floor. The 13th floor. Everybody to the 13th floor where the furniture isn't always the best, but the views are amazing. I'm your moderator, B. Jones, and I got my dog, Mike D, on the podcast for the one-on-one this week. What's happening, baby? The cues and took over the 13th floor. Absolutely. Rooted out, bros. OD in the building. Hey, this might be the shortest podcast episode in 13th floor history because, you know, we got Mr. Mm-hmm on here that says a whole lot of nothing and a lot of mm-hmms in there. Mm-hmm. We're going to try and get him going this week. We're going to try and get him going this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Hey, man, so Mike D really is the man of not very many words, but his actions speak so loud. Uh, we talking about a dude that's just been on the grind since I've known him um, from – small business, entrepreneurship, community activism, to making it happen in his home. We were joking the other day, and I was like, dog, you are the every man that, what's that, Whitney Houston? Every man, every, yeah. I thought she was, I'm every woman, yeah. Yeah, so you are I'm every man. Okay, but hopefully Bobby ain't saying that. (laughs) 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 My, my, My bad, Bobby. (laughs) but yeah man you got so much going on man um i want to start with panache five because Mm -hmm. i think that is a huge huge umbrella organization um and just the name in itself begs the question what is it uh consultant company that all of us are a part of um basically came out of necessity so panache in its original form is stylish um, so the five, you know, when I created it, it was always about, you know, doing stuff for the household, doing stuff for fam first. So since there's five of us, that's originally where the five came from. Um, the, the kind of what we call each other that I came up with is the five aces. So that's been the family logo, the family slogan. And it just went from there to develop it, you know, trying to make it to where you can't go out and professionally tell folks why I named it after my family. So it just became five core things that we do as an organization, business development and training, project management, the personal and professional coaching, the community engagement, and then the affiliate network. Um, I think the biggest piece of all that is the affiliate network. It's a lot of people that are out here that have their own business, networking, partnering together. We can do more collectively than we can individually. So that's where the affiliate came in to be able to truly make some partnerships and be able to help people that are generally just trying to be out here and getting their grind on. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a lot that goes into it, but it's all based off of my experience and kind of things that came to fruition out of necessity, be able to run the business. And what are those things? I mean, what, what sparked that idea of panache? Like, what, what, were the, what are the founding roots of that? You just started this company. Um, I've always wanted to be a consultant. So I always felt it was something different about getting up, going to work, the nine to five didn't seem like the way to 
kind of build wealth and do things for your family. Um, through those years of working a nonprofit, working with community, um, building and kind of doing large scale things across a whole network of people. Um, I used to coordinate youth development for Calgary County and in there in those circles when you're having those meetings you see that there are consultants to come in and are able to um, pick and choose their contracts mm -hmm. things that truly fit their skill set but things that they're passionate about um, it's always um, an opportunity to kind of grow so mm -hmm. you're not tied into a title you're not tied into what type of organization you with the people put you in a box of saying well you work for an organization that deals with environments so i'm only going to talk to you about environment stuff mm -hmm. um, it was an ability to kind of flip it and kind of work with those things that you truly felt that you can help out wherever you felt your skills were so you know i started working with kids when i was nine um hanging around with moms who was a single mom she used to do summer programs and summer camps and you know you always hanging out with moms so she would say well you were an assistant director and then from then it kind of went to working at safety town and that's so i've always had youth experience always been driven to the entrepreneurial spirit so that's how carol and i actually met as when we were in miami we started our own 501c3 and kind of went through this whole concept of having a business together basically which is called renaissance unlimited and that's where this whole piece that um, the for-profit side was renaissance unlimited the non-profit side was the truth program so we started working with you start doing mentoring um, start trying to look at parties and boat cruises. You know what I mean, just truly thinking outside the box of what can we do, big time events, big chunks. Um, so putting all that together, you know, as I came back from Miami to Cleveland, I realized that there was a gap in terms of what Miami had in terms of business, music, everything in terms of what Cleveland was getting. So music would hit Miami first, Cleveland, later a couple years later so <laughs> understanding kind of all right well the trends and things that are happening i knew things that had been educated on things that were basically ahead of the curve in cleveland so if you're able to bring new ideas you got a value um and so as i started working i had done a number of things so shout out to outcast we're gonna get you back um, but in Cleveland, we had put on an Outcast concert, so that was kind of the kickoff of the whole for-profit thing. Um, I had already started the clothing line, which was Panache Gear for the Soul. I had started working with um, Tom Rooney, who uh, is in the Rooney family for the Steelers, and working with them on trying to get a classic put together, historical classic football game with Grambling and the University of Pittsburgh. And basically life happened. So my youngest daughter was getting ready to be born. Wife said, you got life insurance, you got health insurance, you got anything coming with your business. Nope. Well, we need that because we got two kids. So um, took the job and the boss was like, you know, in order to come on, I need you to focus, but you got to give up all that other stuff if you're going to be here. That was in 2003. And basically for 13 years, I just stayed in the nonprofit field, which I was kind of bringing in some of those things in my work so because i did the coordination of youth development had all that background experience working with youth so being able to interject in youth programs talk to people about how to build it ways to interact with youth 
um, just understanding the way that you speak to them, how you got to approach them, how you respect them, how you demand respect in a classroom setting as well as in an after-school setting. A lot of that experience I had, the entrepreneurial experience, I was able to help a lot of nonprofit organizations think about nonprofits differently because everybody thinks of nonprofits and you're like, I'm not going to make any money, which is absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. So um, let me stop you right there because you go from being this upstart entrepreneurial, you know, young black man out here trying to get it on your own life happens. And so you find yourself back in the regular working public sector with the nonprofit organization. And you actually brought a lot of value to them based on the experience that you had on your own. You find that you learned some things while you were in that space that you, that helped propel you to the heights that you're seeing now. Um, I can say absolutely with a hundred percent respect for those that listen to this podcast that know my background and know some of those that I work with personally, it is absolutely a hundred percent respectful, but I learned absolutely what not to do. Um, because it was in environments where it was ran more like a culture in some instances where it's a black organization. So everything's about Kwanzaa, everything's about slavery, everything's about oppression. Um, And it was hard to get them to see that you're educating people to fit within a box instead of allowing them to understand and think globally. And I think my experience from Miami coming back to Cleveland, I had a lot of conflict because everything is some of those organizations was all about your skin color. Um, and they were trying to use that as a means in order to either get people to rally on as an employee to do things about programming in terms of guilting people in terms of getting grant money for these particular things. Um, but it was never about making people holistically better and understanding diversity. A lot of ways that they would interact with people were pushing, were, I, don't know, I guess you could say pissing people off, um, but it was pushing them in the wrong direction to where in some instances I saw that once I get in charge, these are things that I will do different. And I never got the opportunity to completely be in charge. So the closer that I got to the top, it was always conflict between my thought process for how you're going to interact with people and what the actual leader of the organization thought. So a couple of times my staff was like, you need to be quiet. Like, well, what are you talking about? Like, you giving us hope and you telling us everything going to be good. We go in there and talk to him. We talk about us all doom and gloom, like the agency barely surviving. Um, but understanding and going through that, it was a lot of notes on, okay, this is what I'm going to do differently. These are some of the things that I see that I can translate over. So, um, like little things. So, like, how to read the actual financial statement from the audit. Um, I learned that from the actual auditor. So I think the best benefit was being able to build the relationships where people understood that it was me versus the organization. And a lot of my things and relationships that I'm able to do now with Panache 5 is from that because it's almost like I can call and they'll say, okay, Mike Matthews is on the phone and there's that reputation of understanding who he is, what he's about, but I'm not connected to the culture of those other organizations because I was free enough and had professionalism enough to be able to express my differences. So it became a point where we also can't wait for you to take over um, because just in Cleveland, things are simple. I mean, it's black, white, you're Hispanic. 
it's not too much diversity in terms of being able to look at people and think differently. And a lot of the older regime that's in the nonprofit field have been there since civil rights, or if not, they're older. So there was very rarely a situation where there was anybody young that was going to be taking over anything, let alone be a young black male. And mostly everything within the nonprofit field was done either by white men or by black women. Mm -hmm. So you have a black woman that is in charge of the foundation. You got black women that are in charge of programs. You got a lot of people, white males that are in charge of the monies and the dollars and kind of vice versa. But within there, if you got a young black man that's able to kind of make a name for himself, then you're able to grow. And that's what I was able to do. Um, so where did you find that confidence from? Because I think that's a big thing that I'm hearing. Um, you, you had the experience coming in, but you came into a space where you were, it sounds like con constricted mm -hmm. all of, of, of sorts, but you had the confidence to still go and be Mike and not conform to your environmental pressures and, you know, what they were trying to, I guess, put the, what they're, the box they were trying to put you in, yep. in that environment. Um, upbringing, the Q side, I mean, a little bit of everything. So it wasn't, it was never a situation where I felt fear or any situation that was bigger than the moment. Um, going through everything that you go through, just growing up in the neighborhoods of Cleveland, going through the process, you know, for a frat and everything and dealing with that whole piece. Once you get to a particular point of um, understanding who you are, and what your purpose is for being here on earth, regardless of whatever situations are put in front of you, you're able to push through it because it's a reason why you're put into those positions. Um, and you got to realize, like, literally, as, like, I don't know, we're going to get to it and talk about the book, but, like, your life is a going path. right there, you know, since yeah. we're talking about purposes. Go ahead. Yeah, your life is a path. I mean, you follow it every day, but you don't necessarily know what's in front of you. Your job is just to keep moving and to keep moving and be as quiet as possible to listen to life and understand where direction God is taking you. And as long as you follow in there, whatever you need is going, it's going to happen. Um, and regardless of who is trying to put barriers in your way, I mean, if you hear you're doing what your purpose is, you'll be able to always come out on top. And that was always my, my thought that I was never trying to do anything that was selfish. Um, it was always for the betterment either of the group, of the people, of the community. It was something positive that was in my motives. So people would always get on me at meetings and something like, you know, folks don't want to help. I just do it myself. They're like you always say that because it's, it's not that hard. Like, it's not that hard. We're out here trying to help kids. We're out here trying to do what's best for the community. And because some adult has an issue, then we got to jump through hoops. So that way they can give me $500 or give me $5,000 or give me $10,000. When I'm working with a $10 million budget, I don't have time to deal with that. Like, I just take the money and I do it myself because the kids need it. And these are things like trying to get kids bus passes. Um, we had done this whole project in the community in Mount Pleasant where the principals and the student aides, they were having a high school that had low enrollment. And a part of that low enrollment was because the kids didn't have clean uniforms to wear to school. So the parents said it, the kids said it, the principal said it, the student aides said it. The idea was, why don't we just create, you know, some type of laundromat within the school? No, we're not paying for it. So, so you buy a couple washers, a couple dryers. The kids can bring their dirty uniforms to school. While they at school, the school, the uniforms can be clean. Take them home so that way kids can come. And the funders are like, well, who's going to own the washers? Seriously? Like, really? And, and they see, did. 
that that is crazy because that's exactly what it is, man. It's like hearing you talk about how you can just better a few schools just by adding washer and just that and that ability to have clean, clean clothes. It brings me right back to some part of some of the situation we have here in Maryland or in Baltimore specifically, where we have schools here um, that their first day of school wasn't until the Friday after Labor Day mm-hmm. because they didn't have air conditioning, so they couldn't yeah. go to school. In the winter months, like we're going into winter and now the schools are going to be either shut down, not, maybe not shut down, but we got to figure out ways to heat the building because they don't have working heat. Yeah. And, and, the, and the conversation is not how we make this happen now. It's, oh, in 2024, we got a project plan out here where it's going to have everybody furnished. And it's like, these are basic necessities, man. Yeah. I, you need to go on, come on up here to Maryland, bro. And, it's uh, the same everywhere. And, and I think kind of going back to that consultant piece, so like in those conversations where the school district is trying to figure it out, like I'm sitting in these meetings and I'm having meetings and I'm talking to the superintendent, I'm talking to the chief academic officer, and there's a consultant group that came in is getting six figure money to run a plan and they're not even from the community. And you have a conversations about closing schools. So, you know, I'm raising my hand, superintendent like Mike, well, you know, like if you close those schools, those kids not going to be able to go to school. Like what are you talking about? Like gang issues, crossing boundaries. Those kids can't go from that neighborhood to that one. They can barely go, you know, a block to this block in order to be able to go to school. And their response is, oh, well, you know, we heard about it, but we didn't really know. Well, wait a minute. What do you mean you heard about it? When you actually are doing things that are going to affect these kids' everyday lives, and they will continue to go through cycles. Um, a lot of the things with kids and reading books is because they'll tell you, you know, I don't read a book because there's nothing in that book that pertains to me. It's nothing that I can take out of this class and walk outside and use it in my everyday environment. So we would have these conversations with kids in math. and like, well, I don't like math because I don't need math. Like, how many of y'all jaywalk? What are you talking about, Mr. Mike? Like, how many of you jaywalk? Like, well, I do. you crossing the crosswalk? You crossing the middle of the street? Crossing the middle of the street? Like, what you think? All right, well, when the last time you got hit by a car? Like I have it. In your mind, you create math. You know, understood the angles. You know, look at the distance and the speed of the car. You know, figure out the timing to get your butt across the street without getting hit. All that is math. That's algebra. Oh, that's pretty cool. Simple. And then they not back engaged. Right. It is. It's not hard. Same thing with science. Like what I need, man. How many? And you start getting into the whole everything about science. Um, talking to kids that's in gangs about everything that they're doing, telling them, you know, you some of the greatest minds because of the things that you're creating. You're creating friendship groups. You got leadership. You got discipline. Like, y'all have a whole rule system that's put to it. I'm not telling you not to do what you're doing. I'm just telling you what you're doing. You need to be able to do it more positively. Right. So what do you need? I need a job. Well, what are we going to do? How are we going to create you to be an entrepreneur? So it's apparently whatever's going on in school you don't like. And then you get kids. So I got a kid now. He's uh, early 20s. Uh, Monte, shout out to you. Um, but that was one of the first things. He started working on bikes when he was a kid, created his own bike company. Um, now he's a record producer. Um, so it just got him to think through his things that you can do in your community that doesn't require you to be in this box of saying, I need to do science. I need to do social studies. Kids are, they're ultimately creative. So you got to be able to support it. Absolutely, man. I think it just takes that one mind, that one body like yourself to take an interest and actually engage the kid and not try to put them into something that we want to traditionally see them in. Mm-hmm. Look at what they are traditionally in, or, or, or uh, genuinely interested in and move them in that direction. I do have a question for you along that same point. So 
you have the kids and mm-hmm. your ability to influence them, right? Mm-hmm. How easy or difficult is it to influence the parent in the same right? And this is going straight into that community cup aspect, which we should be getting into in a little bit. But how easy yeah. or difficult is it to influence that parent? It's, it's harder because the parent needs the same type of attention that you got to give the kid. But it's harder to fit the parent's need into a program that's based for kids. You got to be able to target the parent. So a lot of things that we will have in terms of the conversation with the parent is, yeah, I gave you my kid. And that's great. But what do you have for me? Because I have the same issues and my issues are stemming from when I was that age. Like I never got something, whatever that is. So how can you get that to me? Uh, so it was truly about being creative and trying to have a conversation with the parent to directly find out well, what are your needs. If it's a job, I cannot guarantee I'm going to be able to get you a job. But what I can get you is some relaxation. What I can get you is some respite. What I can get you is some type of any type of development you need get you into a program. Uh, I might be able to see if I can make some connections to get you into school. I can try to alleviate as much as your parental burden as I can, including giving you these tools and tips in order for you to be an effective youth development person with your child. So most parents, none that I know of, have licenses. Everybody just out here winging it, trying to figure out how to do it the best that they can. But you have people that are in a youth development field that are trying to educate people on how best to work with you. So, you know, I can give that to you as a parent. These are some of the things that we're working on with your children. These are some of the things that we're working on with your son. These are some of the ways that we were able to engage them. But I understand that you need money for groceries. So, we can try and see if we can make that work. I understand that you need support for transportation and continuing education. So we can try to get that work. And once you start getting the parents engaged that you truly care, then you start to hear things and you start to get parent groups and then they start to share from each other. <coughs> so it's really about listening, communicating effectively to them um, and being able to meet everybody where they're at, but also always remaining humble that you don't have all the answers. Um, And you are in this just as much as they are, but you got to live your talk because any point in time they catch you being phony or fake, I mean, you lose everything and that's your credibility. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's good because a lot of parents, they know when they need the help. So once they realize you got their family's best interests at heart, they'll open and they'll truly be honest with you. And that's what you need. It's not about money. It's just about care and being able to connect with them and then everything grows from there. And then you have the Community Cup. So yes, sir. I want to talk about that, man. It's a massive program. We're still trying to get it kicked off in, in, uh, in Ohio, in mm. Cleveland. Tell me about that, man. What is the Community Cup and where are we at with it? The uh, Community Cup Classic is an annual family and community engagement competition between communities uh, with the ultimate goal is to raise at minimum a million dollars to cover youth development gaps. Uh, We are at the point now where we got a lot of the logistics built out because it's a massive project and we want to make sure that all T's are crossed and all I's are dotted Um, because once you start rolling this out, if there's any glitch, it kind of goes back to the same thing. You got one time to make it can make that first impression Mm -hmm. so you want to make sure it's good the county library calgary county library has been awesome in terms of being a partner coming on helping uh agreeing to be like the distribution hub where we able to run all information through the libraries cleveland state university has been a large partner in everything that we're doing 
Uh, we got a number of other partners, Tom Rooney Sports Entertainment Group, Josh Gibson Foundation, uh, the city of Warrensville and Warrensville City Schools has been awesome. Um, everybody, Radio One. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a great thing that's going to happen because it's the same concept of bringing outside into Cleveland um, and also being able to take this thing on the road to places like Maryland because you have communities that are truly in need of support and there's already grant dollars that are spread thin. So the concept is just to take the dollars that are already being spent within the community for various entertainment events, concerts, step shows, battle with the bands, um, whatever you may go to for your kids, and you trying to get those dollars to sit into a pool of money that will eventually be given out through youth philanthropy. So that's where the million dollar goes. You get money from youth and their membership. You get money from the concert, money from step shows, things that are sponsored on. It follows similar things to the historical black college classics, but you take out the football game and you put in all youth stuff. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of support for the adults and you have them competing to go to various activities, be it uh, block club meetings, city council meetings, kids getting improved grades, parents going to repair a report card pickup. Everything has a point value put on it. Things that are more socially, academically, and emotionally uh, better, Uh, your whole social emotional learning concepts, all of those have astronomical points. So if a kid goes from an F to an A, you know, theoretically, he can get a thousand, two thousand points. If he wins the three-point contest at the rec center, he may get 100. Mm-hmm. Not saying that that's not a skill, but we want to try and make sure that we highlight those kids that are doing well in academics, well emotionally and socially, because those are the ones that you don't hear. Everybody knows the number one basketball player. Nobody knows the valedictorian. The number one basketball player gets on ESPN. He's called a diaper dandy, Dick Vitale, shouting his name. He's on ESPN. Everybody knows Zion Williamson that went to Duke. Nobody has any clue what his report card looks like. So it's not that people should go out right now and start checking that young man's report card. But I guarantee you the valedictorian from that school got a full ride to whatever school he went to as well or she went to as well. So it's about highlighting that within the community, but at the same time, empowering parents uh, to truly be engaged because the more adults that you have engaged in the lives of youth, the better the community is. Um, And I think that's one of the things that has changed. When we were younger, walking through the community, you can get three, a stop that, boy, put that down. I'm going to tell your mama before you got to the house. And it was no talk back. Um, now somebody say that they can get shot at, they can get, I mean, it's a whole different community, but it's more so that the adults are scared to talk to the kids. The kids don't know how to respond. The communication is gone. So the more you can get people to trying to get mentors to come in and talk to the kids, it's just that communication gap. And that's what this is. It's a Kickstarter, but you incentivize it. Mm -hmm. That's what the whole community cup is. People love competition. Um, they love to win. Everybody's going to go to concert anyway. So if you're going to go to a Usher concert and spend whatever dollars on the ticket to know that the dollars from that ticket went into a pool that eventually going to come back into my community that my son can have or my daughter can have an opportunity to give away to something that's going to be meaningful, right. that's going to be impactful. Um, it's going to happen every year. The money raised, I mean, it's for scholarships. So like the scenario that we talked about, about the washing machines and the dryer, I mean, it's the same concept. I'm tired of asking y'all, we're just going to do it ourselves. 
Right. And that's what I love the most about it, man. And it, yep. it, it's us taking care of us on yep. a large scale within, you know, a small community. Now, the thing that I see most of this is the perseverance. Mm-hmm. I, was, I wasn't there from the uh, conception, and it's, but two years ago, you know, still working on this thing and t- tweaking it and tinkering with it to get it right, like you said, and make sure all the T's across as a dotted. Mm-hmm. When you were coming up with this concept, I'm pretty sure you got a lot of, nah, this isn't really the right time. Yeah, absolutely. What was it that kept you pushing until you got that first yes and then the many yeses afterwards? Because I still realized that the gap had never been filled from my idea. So the idea is to fund things that other people wouldn't fund, and those continue to be gaps over time. Nobody funds transportation. Nobody funds food. Like, it's those small things that you need in order to be effective when you're working with community. As this gap continued to grow, I could see that there was this always gap of people say black economics that doesn't come back to in our community. It still hasn't come back. How do you create a mechanism to where you get people to kind of do the same thing that they're doing, just shift the money a little bit? So in our community, we will pay whatever for a Beyonce concert. We will pay forever for to go see Jay-Z. We will pay forever to get whatever type of Jordans that we want. Take that same money and be able to get it. Yeah, yeah, I had to leave her alone on this one because everybody don't want to pay to go see Alicia. I'm just saying. (laughs) Alicia, you you already know. Um, So just that whole thought process, it was literally like, yeah. So, I mean, I came up with the idea. uh, The original thought was asking a million people for a dollar. Mm-hmm. I remember people, that. And they'd be like, man, that's crazy. They're like, well, what's a million dollars? Like, literally, when you say it, it is a million dollars. And they kind of like, oh, but you ain't never going to do it. It's not that hard. I mean, you break it down. Once you start doing the math and break it down, it's not that hard. People make million dollars overnight, and then a million dollars wouldn't be actually that much to even make a difference. And then that morphed into our, what we need to create it and kind of get it to be something else. But it was always still, there is absolutely that need. And even now, as we tinker with it, People have begun to see that, yes, you are absolutely correct. Um, Cleveland has been a great place to do it because it's an understanding of where my heart is behind it. So a lot of the support is that we know who you are. We know your heart. We know where your your energy is pointed. And we believe it's a good thing. So at the same time, whatever you need us to do, I'm out here ready to do it because it's a void that needs to be filled because our kids are in a dire situation. Our families are in a dire situation. Our community is in a dire situation. Um, and traditional ways of going around trying to correct it are not going to work. They just haven't. So you got to think outside the box. And this is absolutely 100% outside of any box ever created. It's all new. It's all fresh. <laughs> it's the Community Cup Classic, people. got to love it. Gotta love it. Hey, before we start wrapping up to get out of here, man, we covered a lot. So we talked about your business development, your entrepreneurship. We talked about the Community Cup. Mm -hmm. I want to hit a little bit on the Adventures of the Seven, but also the family to bring it all full circle because, again, remember I told you, that's one of the biggest things I see when I see Mike, man. Mike is always grinding. He's always hustling and working up late, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, gets up early, but he spends that time with his family. He's a very devoted father devoted husband and it's always been since i've known him 
that beacon of light and advice when it comes to any aspect. I mean, <laughs> dude helped me get my, my first project management gig. He's giving me hella relationship advice. And even on the parenting tip, we throw stuff off each other. So, like, I want to bring all of that full circle for the people. But we want to start with the Adventures of the Seven. Rude dog, appreciate it. Um, Adventures of the Seven Paths is literally something that just popped into my mind one time. Um, I absolutely believe it was given to me just through thought, through spirit. Um, but it's a book that I wrote that is near and dear to my heart because it's dedicated to my dad. Um, so the seven paths are life lessons that within this book were taught to the young men that are a part of it. And it was taught to them by their dad or their uncle because they are related. Um, but it's ways that you're supposed to live your life. Um, as I was growing up, it would be different thoughts that I would have, you know, how you're supposed to treat women, just how you're supposed to be respectful. So when my dad uh, was in the hospital, uh, I was 11 and they wouldn't let me up to see him. So, you know, being the mischievous guy that I was, told folks I'm going to the bathroom and sneak my way up to the room and got a chance to talk to him. And one of the last things that he told me was that in your life, every female is going or has the potential to be somebody's mother. So always treat them the same way you would want somebody to treat yours. And that was something that literally to this day stuck. Um, it's been, and, and it's been, so what else would he have taught me as I grew up, as he grew up with me? And that's what this book is. It's a way to have a father's voice in the lives of his children as they grow. Um, but it's specifically from a male talking to a group of boys, which is definitely missing with our community. They always say there's no father in the home. These are ways to speak to those boys um, and give them those same type of thoughts because I know what it was like to not have a dad in the house growing up. It's things and communication that you have amongst your peer groups. And depending on how responsive and responsible your peer groups are, you either end up graduating all together or y'all end up going to jail and juvie all together. But everything happens within your friendship circles. It's just who's going to pull each other's coattail. So within this book, same concept. Shout out to Late. Shout out to Chop. Shout out to Keith Fleming that make an appearance. I only got through one chapter, but as yeah. soon as the first page lit me up, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. You know, it's, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's truly about, you know what I mean, those people that, you know, influenced me through life, late dog, Ruru. Um, but that's what, that's what it is. And it's the first of many. So the Adventures of the Seven Paths is first. Um, that's already written, edited by my late sister, Carmen Hendricks, uh, who I love to death. Um, but we still trying to get the other one. So the next one is the curse of the five nickels. Um, we got pilot. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I can't, I, I can't, ain't, I ain't, we ain't going to go into it. We ain't going to go into it. We got, we got pilot and Wilboro. We got it. We got a whole thought thing going on. So my youngest daughter loves to write. Um, so between the two of us and I was an English major in college. So mm. being able to write, write grants, the book was just a way for me to get it out. And mm -hmm. to kind of just build a whole different, a whole different side of myself. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, as the the characters are are wonderful. Milk um, is the lead character who is a 15 year old high school phenom. So just as we talked about Zion Williamson, he's that kid that's 15, kind of like LeBron 
where they start talking about him as a freshman to say he's coming, ladies and gentlemen. He may be going one and done, but this is a kid that you really need to add what in the book, what he's done is taking the lessons from his dad and internalize them to flip it. And that's kind of where it's written. He is the youngest of the group. He's the most focused. He's the most conscious. Um, and he's using all that influence that he has of saying, yes, I'm coming. Basically to say, I'm going to go to the best school in the country to get myself and my cousin and my family the best education that we can get. Because between the three of them, you got the number one, the number 18, and number 50 player in the country. And you put those three together, they can go to whatever school they want to and win whatever tournament. Mm -hmm. So basically, that's his whole mindset is I'm going to use this leverage to set me up for the rest of my life. And within there, that's kind of this sub part of it. But the biggest part is the revealing of what these seven paths are. And then the concept for the seven paths came from the movements of the chess pieces on the chessboard. So each one of them is a piece. And as you get through it, you can see how their life translates to the movements of that. And that's kind of revealed later on who's the king, who's the queen, who's the rook, who's the knight, who's the pawn, and why they are in these certain things based off of what you know about their life going through it. Um, it's a whole concept in there of a young man giving up basketball in order to go to med school. Um, it truly is. You got the whole you know, the the TV showing up with the hats and everything. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is also built off of my life getting recruited and kind of what went into my mindset, getting recruited to go to Miami and the various schools so I know about the recruitment process mm -hmm. and literally just winding all together and trying to get something. Um, my oldest two daughters would read every day, all day. My son, Mike Deuce, I love him to death. If it ain't got nothing to do with sports, he not on it. But you give him a book on baseball, and it could be 120 pages. He'll read it within two hours, and he's done. He'll put it away. So I saw that work on, like, what books attracted the young male. And there wasn't any. Um, mm -hmm. Either they cartoons or something crazy. So that's what I wanted this to be, something for young minority males or young males just going through it. You don't have to be black, white. I'm not saying it that way, just whatever circumstance you find yourself in, the book speaks to you. So we're going to put that pressure on you, man. When can we expect this thing? Uh, first of the year. So it'll be out. My birthday is March 22nd. I like to have it as a Valentine's Day read. Uh, the goal was to hopefully try and get it out around Christmas, but we didn't have enough marketing, so we just kicked the marketing off for it. Mm -hmm. So it'll definitely be something that's going to get pushed out around February or March. It'll be on your summer reading list to make sure that all your young folks, everybody get a chance to pick up the adventures of the Seven Pass, Panache 5 Professional Pen, LLC. There it is. Before we get up out of here, man, I got to give you the opportunity to shout out the fam and uh, close us out, bro. Uh, I mean, it's everything's always come back to the family. So I got three shorts. I love all you three aces. Uh, I give you uh, your government name. So Destiny, Yasmin, and Michael, uh, love you to death. And everything that I do is for them. I always tell them, you know, I got three kids. Why wouldn't I do everything that I can for them? Y'all the ones that I made. Everybody else, I didn't. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what it's about. So I mean, it's good. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's it's definitely a commitment 
because there are a lot of things that I have sacrificed and that I do sacrifice, sleep being one of them. (laughs) 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 Um, But I mean, it's a, it's a, it's something that you got to do in order to keep everything in front of you to stay on top of everything. Um, It's a lot of travel. It's a lot of late nights. Um, The wifey is, is the wifey. So appreciate and love you too, babe. Um, but everything's good. Everything's good, team. Excited. Excited for this next year. Excited for these next couple months. Ready to keep grinding. Ready to keep making it moving. And uh, I think I've talked more now than I have in the last three years. So. <laughs> Time to head back to the mm-hmm. and amen. <laughs> and the whole nine. Um, well, dog, so, absolutely pre- appreciate the time you spent with us, man. Hopefully the listeners appreciate it, too. I think you dropped a lot in there as far as, um, you know, just inspiration for the, the budding entrepreneur, inspiration for someone trying to go navigate the professional space, be it entrepreneurship, um, the nonprofit space, just being able to learn, gather, and, and build that confidence within yourself to take yourself or propel yourself to that next step, man. So, um, absolutely appreciate the time you spent here with us ladies and gentlemen make sure you subscribe to the podcast uh, we we working up to episode 100 where we're going to break it up the last several episodes and doing the one-on-ones with the guys so you get a little bit more of the insight of us and what we have going on um personally uh we got the 13th floor on youtube soundcloud vimeo google play itunes wherever you listening to your podcast view the podcast Give us your ratings. Give us your comments. Let us know what you think. And any show ideas, man. We want to kick off the new year once we get past episode 100 with some of the things you want to see. I already got some uh, great suggestions from some of our avid avid listeners that we are putting in the bag. Please don't think that the suggestions uh, get thrown by the wayside. So we definitely appreciate all that. Keep it coming with us. All right. Keep it staying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Make sure you get you some mm-hmm's in with Mike D, baby. That's right. Oh yeah, and we still got the tax offices, man. This is for us. Oh, we didn't get into the tax offices, man. Tax season coming, man. Mike yeah. D, uh, Mike D on the taxes. Two Q's taxes. I'm I'm about to get certified too. Shoot, I need some extra cash. Yeah, it's it's a whole lot of shenanigans that's happening. And I think that's <laughs> been, that's been interesting because it changes every year. Mm-hmm. So, like when you see the differences just between this year and like the last couple of years, like. Uh, oh boy, is lost his freaking brains. What I mean, Man, just so we could talk an old another 45 minutes on this guy, yeah, that, Saudi Arabia jump. We're gonna leave that there, and then we also look at any uh, anybody that's an artist, we're looking for character drawings for the clothing line. Shout out. Yeah, man, when I'm gonna get my shirts, man. What the heck? I got it. I'm about, I'm about to send it. You said you don't wear extra large, though, Tim. No, man, I need large, man. You trying to have me drowning out here? I ain't six four, two fifty. But I gotta get, I gotta get the new, the new thing for the front. The new man, screen. I want the old man that was going the Lone Highway. That's right. I want that shirt, <laughs> right? I gotta there. get. I know. I gotta get. It's, it's a whole lot of not calling me back and finding new production. <laughs> been out of production for a minute, so we're trying Listen, to get. Listen, we looking in. for artists, man. If you can draw. Boondock type characters, even Justin Richburg. At that, bro, Mike, we need artists that can draw. I want to recreate the uh, old man going along highway, mm-hmm. the bridge builder. Yep. Hey, uh, Ian, go ahead, throw a visual up in there on the podcast. We got, we're trying to recreate this shirt, get these things into production. It's a massive shirt, and Mike D is holding out because I'm the only one trying to buy one. So, America. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, we up out of here on the 13th floor. Appreciate y'all listening, man. Where the furniture is always the best.
for the views and the cues. Are amazing. Hey, hey. Alright, bros. I ate all the chicken. The thirteenth floor. The thirteenth floor.